So, yeah, so Mute Math is touring with Modest Mouse. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, so I think it's in, in Georgia, maybe, uh, coming up. So, I know Modest Mouse has a new uh, album coming out really soon. I don't That's know. Cool. Hopefully Mute Math does, too. Yeah. I like them. I, uh, I, it took me a while to warm up to Mute Math. Uh, I'd actually listened to an old band that hardly anybody remembers uh, called Earthsuit. Mm-hmm. And nobody remembers Earthsuit, but it was the Mute Math guys. The an, all of them, or just the lead singer? Um, I think all of them, but it was there was a much bigger band. It was huge, and they were this really kind of like a polyphonic spread type deal. Uh, maybe I'm not real familiar with them, but it was dude. They were they were doing really kind of artsy, strange, cool stuff. I mean, before they were Mute Math. And uh, I liked them. They had a couple of really great songs, and I was like, oh, like I'm excited to see what happens with them. But apparently, somehow, just one day, the band just tanked, and nobody was listening to them. And they actually talk about, um, they actually have a story of being at a concert, somebody opened for them, and they said, we got out to play, and something like 500 people just exited. And wow. we were playing <laughs> to, you know, 10 people. And they said, we, we had to just take a hard look and say, is, okay, is this working? And uh, somewhere in there, like, things just got retooled. I guess the band ended, and then they just relaunched yeah. Mute, or launched Mute Math. I mean, I think that's the thing with kind of, like, the experimental-type bands. If it's not clicking, it does not yeah. sound good. Yeah. And I, I think uh, Mars Volta has a similar story to that. I think like, I have heard that. They were involved in a couple different bands that just weren't clicking, and then all of a sudden yeah. Mars Volta formed and yeah. history from there. Well, and I think there's something with, with that experimental sound. When, well, like, Earthsuit, Earth I don't remember how many guys were in the band, but it was a big band. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there was seven or eight, maybe nine people in that band. So when you think about being an experimental band, and you're limited on your audience anyway, and then trying to pay nine guys, that gets tricky. Yeah. Not to mention moving everybody around. And also... So basically people just have to come and play for the love of music. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Um, which is great, but also, at some point, <laughs> Not sustainable. Like, I'm going to have to leave the band to go and pay bills. Um, but man, the, uh, when you see, when I see Mute Math, they're just, they're on. Yeah. Have you seen them live before? Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're and great. just watching that, those, those guys that just tiny little group of guys. And they, when I see them, they're usually kind of clustered. Like I've, I saw them at a concert where, where they weren't on that big of a stage and to watch, they just fill the room with noise in a good way. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly think it's the best show I've ever seen live. Oh my goodness, There's so much energy coming from the stage, yeah. like throughout, like from the, the beginning songs and through the encore. Yeah. On that, I, I love watching their drummer, man. Like, yeah, drummer he's nuts. How he tapes awesome. the, the duct tape around yeah. his head. Yeah. Well, and I, um, I'm a drummer, so I have, I have just a special place in my heart for drummers. But um, the, uh, I watched a thing on, on Rush and Neil Peart just decided he was going to go and relearn drumming, you know, even though he's widely considered to be at least one of the best, if not the best drummer in the world. He's mm-hmm. amazing. And he takes lessons from this drum guy who if effectively taught him dance. And he was like, he says, you know, he says, when people dance, he says, it's a lot like drums. Just says, the rhythm. Know, there's a rhythm thing going. He says, but have you ever noticed, and he says, he did, did a dance right there. He says, have you ever noticed that the dance is actually happening in the air? He says, what, when you're touching, you're just touching the ground. You're dancing in the air. And so he essentially said, incorporate the, like, the way you move your arms and make it like a dance. And so I think of that when I watch Mute Math's drummer because he's yeah. like, I mean, it's, it's, it's thrashy dancing. Man, have, it's, I, have it's I told you to go see Whipl- Whiplash yet? No. You should definitely go see it. It's uh, up for an Academy Award 
Um, and actually, J.K. Simmons, the lead or the supporting actor in it, he won a Golden Globe. He's probably going to win an Oscar for his role. That's awesome. Um, but it's about drumming, and it's about a conservatory in uh, New York City where this kid goes, and the the band instructor, who's J.K. Simmons, is just super intense, like Full Metal Jacket style, <laughs> like breaking these kids down. That's and awesome. It's a little bit funny, but it's also like a little bit like, wow, this is pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see this. That's awesome. Whiplash. So I, I love movies like that, especially anything about drummers. I um, Actually, when I, was in, uh, when I was in college, I guess high school for a little while, I saw the movie That Thing You Do, the Tom Hanks movie. About the, I don't think I've seen that. It's about a one-hit wonder band in the 60s. And ultimately, the movie centers around the drummer and his life. And I, I watched that movie every weekend for like a year, mm-hmm. which probably there might have been something wrong with me. But I still love <laughs> that movie. It's a great movie. I just yeah. I, I feel like drummers we we, we get neglected. Yeah, so, I mean I, I played drums know. when I was younger too. And uh, nice. Yeah, I think there's something definitely unique about a drummer and a little bit off about their personalities. Yes, yeah, <laughs> there always is. And it's interesting to me that the further I am. Like, I just haven't played regularly in a band in a while. and never stopped drumming, you know, but uh, it's interesting how I, like, oh, I've lost some of my edge, and I'm like, I need to play drums again so I can be a little bit crazy again. Yeah, yeah definitely um, watch Whiplash. It'll get I'll, you I'll pumped up it. to play drums. Or maybe <laughs> get you thinking I never want to play drums ever again. No, <laughs> uh, I don't think I could ever not play. Uh, it's awesome. So I'll definitely check that out. That's cool, and so when did that, that came out just this past year then? Um, yeah, it came out within the past uh, couple months, actually. Nice, I'll have to check it out. I, um, I've, I've gotten a renewed interest in movies lately, and I'm, I'm excited. I've, I have a friend of mine that, um, I'll do a shout out to him, Mike Stryker. Uh, he owns a film company called Casting Life Films, and they just won an Emmy for a, oh, wow. for a movie called Hunger in America that they did. And so pretty excited, pretty proud of him. It's very cool. He's the guy that every now and then he's hanging out with Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> and, like, you know, they're just hanging out, sitting on the couch, talking to Billy Bob. And I'm like, this is, this is awesome. You said they, they both live in Nashville? I think so, yeah. I don't know if Billy Bob lives in Nashville, but I know he's working on stuff with Billy Bob in Nashville. That's cool. Yeah. Something, and he's filming Billy Bob's band or something. But Like a music video for yeah, his band? or Yeah. Or it might be a live show. I, I should know. Sorry, Mike. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of cool. Is Billy Bob's band a Christian band, or is this even a Christian affiliation, like uh, his company? Um, no, his company, I, they do all kinds of stuff. I, um, I mean, the owner is a Christian. I mean, like my friend Mike, is a, he loves the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do all kinds of stuff. They do a lot of Yeah, so he doesn't li- and, limit himself to just... No, not at all. In fact, I don't know that there's... I mean, I'd, I'd have to look. I don't think there's anything that he's done that would fall in the Christian subculture kind of genre. But... Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, I, um, which I think is great. Yeah, I'm, I'd say good for him. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, I, this is maybe an interesting thing to talk about. I think we've, we've done a disservice in kind of creating a subculture for Christian art. Yeah. Um, and it's bad. The, uh, I think it's bad for Christians and it's bad for... Um, for art. For, it's bad for <laughs> art and it's yeah. bad like what it's, it's saying about Christian culture. Yeah. Well... So, and it's, it's interesting, I always say it cautiously, because I think there are things, even in the, you know, what, what, a lot, what is often labeled the contemporary Christian market, that I think there's some great stuff in there. Like, I really do. Oh, yeah, for sure. But we've, it's so limited, because it's like, well, you fit in that category, so good luck over there, son. And then you don't, 
we don't get the opportunity to influence the culture in the same way. Not to mention, as with anything, I mean, pop music does this, rock music, the country music. That there's, they've essentially now said, all right, so this radio channel is going to be about this style of music. Yeah. And in your local thing, you have you know however many styles, and then those radio stations are owned by, and it's something like four companies that own pretty much every radio station in the country. And and so I, then, I'm sure those com- are those companies related to like it just it's like media companies, right? Like Viacom yeah, and right, Disney yeah. and Clear Channel, yeah, Cumulus. Um, and then what they're doing is they're making business decisions to say this is who's this is what we're going to play, and so they'll they'll decide we're going to market this group of channels to yeah. This so age then group then and, the bands try to sound more like what yeah. they're supposed to sound like instead of sounding <laughs> right. like what they should sound yeah. like, and or even if they don't want to do that, that's kind of. You know, yeah. I, I've heard songs um, that you can get on an album that are this 10-minute epic piece of art, but then you listen to it on Christian radio station, and just the corners have been rounded, and it's this very uh, milk toast kind of Yeah, well, I mean, thing. really anything you hear on radio is going to be the, the, yeah. the pop hit or, yeah. you know, the one song in the album that they made just for radio. Yeah, well, um, yeah. I am... Um, so I've had this strong feelings about the radio marketing thing, and I understand they're business people; they can do what they want. But I, I, I hate when it cramps on art. And uh, I have this one of my favorite stories of it all is because uh, I'm a I'm a Johnny Cash fan, and back in like the '90s when Johnny Cash got together with Rick Rubin, who Rick Rubin produced Slayer. And Beastie Boys, he's mm-hmm. produced Adele, and he's like this wild. Is this array. back when he made his? Uh, <laughs> the covers of all those 90s songs. And that was, and so, you know, we had Johnny Cash was starting to do this stuff with Rick Rubin and it was brilliant. Like it's this very stripped down, rootsy, raw stuff. And I, I still, when I'm, when I'm in a hard time, I go and listen to that kind of music and it ministers to me. And that's the other thing. He's got the gospel weaved into a lot of that. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. Like the, um, the Nine Inch Nails song that he covers. Oh man. How, You know, even Trent Reznor said after he did that, like, that song is Johnny Cash's song now. It's not mine. And even, like, when you compare the two songs and listen to them, like, one after the other, it's insane how just changing one or two words can put the gospel into a song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's... Ha. So I am am convinced that in, in some of the more kind of nihilistic music that we've seen, you know, people... It's easy to point at, like, a Marilyn Manson... Or, or even in Nine Inch Nails and say, yeah, look at this depressing music. But to hear some of those guys talk, they have an understanding of the fallenness of man. Yeah. And they're, I think some of them have a clearer understanding of at least the first half of the gospel message than most Christians. Um, I, I remember my wife read uh, Marilyn Manson's book for a psychology class. And she says... Like an autobiography? Or? Yeah. Um, can't necessarily recommend it. It's a, it's, a little, it's a little rough in places, but very interesting and she actually said, she says, he's remarkably healthy. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, from what you can tell from something like that. But, but it was interesting because he talks about, you know, in growing up in a, in a religious environment where he says, it was ridiculous. Everybody wanted me to do stuff that's good. And he says, I realize I'm not good. I can't be good on my own. And I'm like, this is huge. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, and, this and is I, the first step. <laughs> and it was like, this is such a clear understanding of, of the nature of man that we can't be good on our own. We need God. And it yeah. broke my heart because here's a guy who understands that 
I mean, he's been honest with himself, but nobody ever said, man, here's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he makes it possible, yeah. like, for you, you don't have to be good on your own. Like, yeah, he's he can restore you. But um, I, I mean, yeah, I think, I guess there's kind of a crossroad there too. Like you can embrace the, the evilness of your, your, your own nature and, and kind of go that route too. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's probably what he's, he would say he's done. Probably he's done, or at least that's what his public image has yeah, done. That's kind of the shtick, yeah. Well, because even in the book, he talks, he has some values that are really interesting, like high value, even though he struggled with keeping marriages together, he talks about having a high value of, of marriage and that it's an important thing and it should be a big deal. And, um, it was really interesting, but all that, I, I, I got off track talking about Johnny Cash because we were talking about the, uh, you know, the like, how radio stations have planned everything and mm-hmm. around that time of Johnny Cash doing all those albums he uh, he was winning you know winning Grammys and doing really well and around the time second or third Grammy um, but they never would play his stuff on radio stations because they made a decision back then that like we're going to market in the 90s they said we're going to market country music to the single white woman like that was everything was marketed around that so the guy who helped bring you know, country music into reality wasn't getting airplay, <laughs> even though he's doing his best work of his life. So he didn't get any airtime on like any radio stations on, on any that, country. He would get country? MTV played him, which oh, okay. was crazy. Um, you could see him on VH1, but you couldn't see him on a country channel. Yeah. And uh, so he and and Rick Rubin took out an ad in Billboard magazine, and this is Johnny Cash, who like the dude loves Jesus and he's solid, but he's still raw. He's still Johnny Cash. So there's a picture of him from back in probably the 60s when he was still pretty young. And it's him flipping the bird at the camera. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, his middle image. finger is, like, he, I mean, most people have seen that image. And then <laughs> the tagline on, or the, not tagline, but the text just says, Johnny Cash and Rick Rubin would like to thank the Nashville Music Establishment <laughs> for their enduring support. <laughs> and I was just like, this is so brilliant. <laughs> so good. And uh, just cracked me up. Yeah, and then now you kind of think about uh, country music stations, and the line is extremely blurred between what's country and then oh, what's yeah. pop. I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's sad, man. I um, I miss some good old fashioned country, man. Yeah, well, I'm I'm big into like bluegrass and like folky yeah. sounding country. Not so much the pop country that I guess has yeah. gotten big over. over the I don't last know however many years. Yeah, yeah. my my entire lifetime. That's I guess yeah. been present. Um, I'm 25. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting cause, um, I really got into Shooter Jennings <clears throat> a few years ago who is Waylon Jennings son, right? So some of those outlaw country guys, some of their kids have kind of come up doing music and, uh, it's really interesting to see. I feel like there's this whole, they're not getting play on radio, but there's this whole, uh, culture maybe is the right word for it. There's a whole scene maybe of uh of this kind of the progression of of outlaw country and it's a little bit more rock but it's still got that just raw outlaw sound and nobody's gonna play him on on country radio but like shooter jennings and um some guys like that and they're calling it's funny to hear them call out country music because they're like you you guys aren't the real deal yeah that's almost like rappers how like (laughs) there's a lot of rappers out there that like call out mainstream rappers like (laughs) you you know you only rap about you know sex and driving fast cars yeah (laughs) like you're not the real deal it's like what happened to uh like when most def would he would you know he 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 has poetry you know he has yeah and he's addressing legitimate things (laughs) and it's like 
when are you gonna hear him on the radio? Yeah, you know. Actually, I, I got a newfound respect for uh, Conway uh, Conway Ye- West. I can't say his Conway name. Yes. <laughs> Conway Yes. Conway Yes. That's what we'll start calling. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's his name. But I got a newfound <laughs> respect for him because I listened to uh, an NPR thing on um, the I think somewhere in Indiana the the lynchings that happened in in the seventies um, and. It was uh, Blood on the Leaves, uh, I, try, I forget, Strange Fruit. That's the name of the, a poem some lady wrote after seeing the image of that. Is, is it a Maya Angelou poem? No, it's no? not. Yeah. Um, I forget the lady's name, but she wrote like a really, really intense poem after seeing that image. And, uh, you know, West came out with a song on his most recent album that uses the lyrics from that poem. That's cool. Yeah. That's, I love when that kind of stuff happens. And he's... I know he's an odd character, and there's a there's a whole lot of just pop that he's doing, but he definitely has some talent, you know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, but I think it's it's interesting to me that you know we were, we were talking about the whole Christian subculture thing, um, and how we're we're not impacting at that level. And what happens is then, so Kanye comes along and does something kind of ridiculous. We we attack it, but it's like well where are we putting art into that? And um, I think there are guys who are, but we're not supporting them because we're too busy listening to pop radio. And um, Yeah, and it, I mean, I don't understand the whole thing about, you know, just listening to, you know, what you like or something that's going to validate your own beliefs. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a um, an undertone in Christian culture that, you know, we're just going to stick to hanging out with Christians, to listening to Christian things, to listening to Christian music. Because we're scared of what happens if we don't. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not good, and it's 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 anti gospel. You know, there when when Jesus gave the great commission, he says, "Go into all the world and make disciples." And so, some people say that you can translate. And I've seen it that like you can legitimately translate the word "go" to this as you're going, which gives this idea that in your daily life you should be hanging out with lost people that you can share the gospel with in, in a relational, natural way. Yeah. And this whole, I mean, we, we've kind of ghettoized ourselves, where we're, we, we've kind of created this Christian ghetto, this Christian subculture where we're hidden in. And uh, man, when somebody breaks out of it, you know, this is probably, this is a really old example, but when Amy Grant did a pop album, everybody's like, you're not Christian anymore. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this, yeah. We should be stepping out of that. I mean, also, I think it's maybe just the American culture, too. Like, um, Christians in America kind of feel like they're entitled to a lot more things because they feel like this is a Christian nation, which, you know, I saw that bumper sticker yesterday. I was driving, and I saw some, some lady had a bumper sticker that said, um, we are a Christian nation. And I was, I was thinking, like, no, not really. We, we aren't. We weren't no. founded as a Christian nation. No. Um, we're just experiencing a really odd time in history where... You know, Christianity is the dominant religion, which that's not going to last for for long. Yeah. That's as far as what the scriptures tell us. Like, yeah. you know, that's rare. Yeah. And um, well, and I even I even say I think there's a difference between. First of all, I don't think uh, un, unless it's a full on theocracy where Jesus is king, which is coming someday yeah. in a different way than I think people think. Other than that, you can't really be a Christian nation. Um, just like you can't really be a Christian band, you can be. Christians in it. You can't be a Christian company. You can be Christians that own a company. Yeah. And I, I think we've we've kind of attributed the wrong, we've attributed labels to things 
and given the wrong idea sometimes. And I, I would say I think it's it's wonderful that America probably had a some influence of Christianity, or but there's plenty of it that I think we've attributed to Christianity that was really cultural that we kind of just blamed on Christianity and mm-hmm. and and I think that's that's actually coming back to hurt us right now. Um, you know, I, I heard a I heard a guy. I'm feeling bad that I don't remember his name, but I heard a talk one time where this guy was talking about how we share the gospel in our culture. And he says, do we ever wonder why, you know, 50 years ago, revival services worked? And he says, and they did. He says, because what was happening is we had a whole lot of people who knew something about Christianity. And they'd heard about Jesus. They understood. They were at least starting at zero. So you could have a service or a series of services where you essentially shake people up and you say, come on, do what you know, you know. And, uh, and so people would say, yeah, man, I, I know I need, to, I need to put my trust back in Jesus. And, and so they would have this, you know, huge change. And he says it worked. Like, it yeah. really did work. And there was a, it was because there was this kind of this dominant understanding. Like, at least the word had spread about Jesus and people had some general understanding. But also, we had plenty of stuff that wasn't from God at all. You know, we had segregation. And, and he says, we had all this stuff that wasn't from God that gets lumped in with like, oh, that was when the Christians were in charge. And he says, that's, that's not a biblical thing. That's not a Christian thing. But he says, now we're in this kind of post-Christian culture that kind of looks back and doesn't, doesn't know that much about Christianity or about what really was a Christian influence and what wasn't. And so when you start talking about, you know, being a Christian nation, they're like, well, wait a minute. I remember when we used to be a Christian nation. That's when we had all this segregation and racism and crap yeah. like that. <laughs> and it's like, no, well, no, that's not good. And so that, I think it's dangerous when we put that label because then the assumption is like, okay, then everything that that country does is is of God. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's when, you know, people who um, are, are not of faith or are trying to point out the flaws in Christianity will, you know, look at things like that right. and they'll like, the, you know, take the Crusades, for example. Yeah. Like, the things people do in the name for Christianity that yeah. are awful. Yeah, and, and it's it's so hard then to combat that that thinking because, man, I, I still believe that like Jesus is just radically misunderstood, and <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that's been associated with him. Yeah, misunderstood even false. by you know people even by Christians by Christians. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people that read the Bible and you know look at you know Westboro Baptist Church. Oh my gosh, extremely yeah. misunderstood. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what you got from reading the Bible. Which what an interesting thing with with Westboro Baptist, we have what's essentially a family that has control over an entire, and it's mostly all the same people there. Yeah, there's no but, biblical I mean, that, discernment there. You know? you know, that's just interesting how easy it is to manipulate beliefs and viewpoints of, you know, people in a confined area, especially your family, yeah, you know, with, you know, within just like a generation of itself. Yeah. <clears throat> Very quickly. Yeah. It's messed up. Well, I, um, I, I think we have a tendency, we have a tendency to, to believe who's in charge, you know, or that sounds wrong. Cause I think we also, as a culture, we, we have an anti authority kind of vibe that's going on, but the people that we trust, we really trust. Yeah, I mean, maybe you know? maybe so, like, in our society, like, um, as far as, like, federal government and, like, think people that are not yeah. really in our lives that are controlling our yeah. lives, like, we have a distrust, but... But relationally. Yeah, relationally, yeah. and the people that are right in front of us that we can physically see, like, you know, that person can't be a bad person because yeah. 
they're right there in front of me. So how could they do be doing something evil? I don't get it. Yeah. Well, and I think then we have a hard time, and that, you know, separating what did this person tell me that was actually from God, and what was it that was just them? And I've watched people just kind of throw out everything about Christianity because somebody who was a Christian told them a bunch of false things. And uh, like I remember I, I went to a Christian school that um, was a little on the legalist side, and I, but I still got great stuff there. This is not a knock on that school. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of their things was that music with, with drums, was, and it sounds funny, but they were like, it was straight from the devil. Now, these are people who loved Jesus, man, and wow. loved me. I saw them really love people, and I saw the gospel communicated both in, in word and in deed. But they had a couple of funky things like that. That, that sounds thought, like something Dana Carvey, as the church lady would say. Right. It, it was very, yeah, <laughs> he probably could have based the character on. And it was, it was a strange thing to me because, you know, I mean, here's this principle that I love, man, godly man, and legitimately a godly man. Didn't force anything, but he genuinely believed that. And they would bring in a guy almost once a year to come and talk about, like, the sins of rock music and how, you know, just evil. And I, I grew up in a church that we had drums, you know? So I was in a contemporary church before we called them contemporary <laughs> so That's churches. kind of confusing for you, right? Yeah, but it was actually kind of great because my parents were really cool. And they, they, I think my parents helped me teach the sermon. And they were like, all right, so where is it in the Bible? You know, like, oh, okay. So your church wasn't affiliated with no. Uh, it's a different Christian school, different gotcha. church, right? I was gonna say they're, they're preaching that drums are evil, and then they're using it. <laughs> right, yeah. No, it was, so it was an interesting thing because my parents got to got to teach me discernment and say, you know, not everything everybody tells you is right. They can be great people and still be right on some things and wrong on some other things, and that's why your authority has to be God's word. Yeah. And it was really interesting because, you know, I was able to kind of say, all right, I know this is kind of a pet thing for them, and I can I can just hear it and respect them and disagree. And and it's interesting, a lot of them have come around, like, I, I have some I have some friends that they're like, yeah, yeah I don't think that anymore. <laughs> but what was You sad, had friends that actually, like, oh, yeah. bought into that when oh, they yeah. were... Oh, yeah. Really? Well, even teachers that I know were bought into it that so just like, I don't know. They wouldn't li- even listen to any music with drums in it. Was it no. just drums or was it, it like was, a bass guitar was also evil? You, well, I don't think they could have told you. They would have said that there was a percentage of, this sounds so corny, <laughs> but there was a percentage of rhythm that was acceptable, but that if you had too much rhythm, that that wasn't allowed. When you start shaking your hips. Well, that and that was their thing. They were like, see, because it's it's naturally evil and it makes you want to... What do they call it? They, they had a word for it, but essentially they were saying dancing, and that makes you want to move in sensual ways. This is like Footloose. <laughs> you, you live Footloose. <laughs> really? It's true. Um, and you, you're, you're a drummer. Is that why you're a drummer? It's probably it. It's probably it. Um, I'm rebelling against it. The best you should thing. make a movie about this. <laughs> That's right. We'll get Kevin Bacon to play me. Yeah. No, we, uh, so the best was one day where we were, I was in a play and we're, uh, we're, you know, we're setting up for our dress rehearsal or whatever in the gymnasium slash auditorium, right? And so one of my friends, he was probably a senior that year, um, he gets up and he puts on this, this Christian group called Second Chapter of Acts. So some of old school Christian people remember them and they were, I mean, they were as tame as Christian music can get and mm-hmm. still be considered pop or whatever. And uh, and he's playing, and of course, you know, the I think it was the vice principal walks in, and he's like, uh, what kind of music is playing on? He's like, second chapter of Acts. And he's like, well, well what is it? He's like, 
you know, scripture put to music. <laughs> I never forget the vice principal's like, let's not play that kind of music here. <laughs> um, and if you can understand, great guy. This is just something that he believed in. Wow. That was funny. But what was tragic is I know there are people that came out of there that couldn't separate. Okay, this is what they told me that was from God. And this is what they told me that was just their opinion. And um, that was a yeah, sad thing. I mean, and that's, and that, I mean, looking at that, that's almost like a, you know, a harmless example, but there's so many more um, detrimental examples oh, yeah. like in the church that, you know, people believe that are so false that, you know, can ruin lives oh, because of the way yeah. people believe. And, it, and it's all legalism about stuff yeah. that, that you should be doing to try to gain, yeah. uh, you know, better sight in God's eyes, yeah. like, you know, gain God's love, I guess. And, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because that is what it's about. It's a man's attempt. It's religion as opposed to relationship with Jesus. It's yeah. man's attempt to earn something, and that's that's always bad. Um, and it's so wild. That's what people are turned off to because they know that there's something wrong with that. And yeah. uh, and but it's, I mean, I, I believe yeah. too that it goes uh, both ways. Like it's not only the the pastor or the authority that's losing sight of Jesus being the center focus of their life. It's also the people listening to it. Yeah. Um, and if you're still like sitting under that, you, you've lost focus of well, Jesus being the center of your life. Cause you're raising up that person as your, yeah, that person and that idea. <laughs> yeah. When it's our, like, like leaders should, we should respect them and have authority as in so much as they're inside the bounds of, of scripture and we should give grace when they make mistakes. But when there's this environment of control and that's where I get really, when, when legalism and really, and kind of religious practice is used as a way to create control, then essentially what happens is that leader is getting all the control. And that's dangerous because it, that's, that's going to corrupt. And I think that's why we look at, I want to be careful not to mention any particular groups to give the wrong idea, but that's why we'll have, you know, sexual abuse in, in the churches where, where you've got that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, it's why there are certain re- religious sects where you have this rampant, abuse of all forms because we've we've centered the authority on a person rather than on God and and on his word and it's it's bad yeah and I mean and also from such like an outside perspective it seems so easy to like see like like this church has such a centralized view on this uh, specific topic but like I guess you know when you're in it like maybe you can attest to this like it's it's hard to to see that it's hard to yeah. see that you know, that you're straying away from, you know, God's love and you're focusing more on this idea that um, if you either do this thing, you're, you're damned, or if you, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah, it is harder to see. I think that's why the diversity in, in the body of Christ is a healthy thing. I mean, I think I had the benefit. My dad grew up in a Wesleyan church. Mom grew up in a Baptist church. They took me to a non-denominational contemporary church together, Right. Um, and then my dad was pastoring a church like that. Um, and then I went to a Christian school that was pretty biblically grounded, even though they had some of this kind of quirky stuff. Um, and then I had friends from other denominations. In fact, even at my Christian school, there was a variety of denominations represented. I was exposed to a lot of diversity. And I got yeah. to very clearly see, okay, here are the things that are essential that we can kind of connect on. And I think I, it's why I had such a high value of kind of the, the I don't want to use the word fundamentals of the face because I think fundamentalism is kind of the opposite of being about the fundamentals of the faith um, a lot of times. But, um, yeah, man, I, I learned to say, okay, these are what, this is what's important, this is what's not. And 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, same, same for me, too. I, I mean, I grew up in a Methodist church, you know, uh, went to a Baptist church, went to non-denominational uh, Presbyterian, so like I, I've had a pretty good mix, and like you know maybe this is the Holy Spirit too, but like looking back on um, you know the different churches I went to, it seems like the primary focus was like you know it's Jesus, it's yeah. you know what Jesus has done for yeah. you, um, and you know that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That, <laughs> Well, it, yeah, and also too cool. like maybe when I you know when I wasn't a believer going to church hearing like um, you know. It's all about Jesus, and it's Jesus. It, it's kind of confusing. It's like, what does that mean? Can you explain it further? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it is the Holy Spirit that has to speak to you before you can really understand yeah. that message. It's true. I'm glad to hear, though, that that's, that was, that's a cool experience, that people were still, even in all the denominations, were saying it's about Jesus, man. Yeah. Um, it's huge. That's, so that was the interesting thing. I was at a, um, I'm in the Rotary Club here in Amherst, um, because I like building those kind of relationships, and there's some cool people in it. And I, I want to be any kind of circle where I can spread the gospel. So I'm like, Rotary Club, I'm in. Somebody had invited me to be a part of it. Um, and the Rotary Club does this fundraiser every year. They do a wine-tasting event, and everybody comes up to this thing. So I'm there volunteering at the wine-tasting. And and for whatever reason, something was happening, and I was having a lot of spiritual conversation. And I'm, I mean it like I'm not that pastor that's like, let's sit down and talk about Jesus right now. <laughs> um, I, I don't shoot for it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to people about music or about whatever. Yeah. And it's interesting, probably because I'm a pastor, people ask questions. And so, and actually people ask, you know, what do you do? So, you know, you're hanging around a table full of strangers and people are like, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, then the inevitable next question is, where is your church? And I'm like, well, um, we're a church plant, so we actually um, we actually don't have a building right now. And so I, I lead right into, you know, we're actually, we're a church for people who feel like they don't fit into church. Yeah. And uh, and immediately, like, people are like, well, that's interesting. And so then somebody will almost always have some opinion on religion, and that's when they drop it. Boom. And... Uh, and people just will say things like, well, I just hate religious process, and I like to hear the idea of, you know, something where, because I don't fit in a church, and they've associated all this stuff with just religion, and they blanket term, and I, it sets me up every time, and I'm like, you know, it's interesting you say that, because I'm like, I actually kind of hate religion, too, because as I define religion, religion is people's attempt to define God as they want to define him, yeah. and then try to earn their way to him. And I'm like, that's why all this bad crap happens because people are essentially saying, well, this is what I'm going to do to earn God's favor. And so you have this one guy who says, well, I'm going to earn God's favor by blowing up an abortion clinic. And you have another person that's like, well, I'm going to earn God's favor by wearing a tie every Sunday and making everybody else in my family do the same. You have another person who's like, I'm going to earn God's favor by blowing up a random group of people. <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or sometimes it's much more benign. It's I'm going to earn God's favor by having you know, this rule that I'm going to follow and make everybody else follow. Yeah. But every time it's trying to earn something from God and every time it involves a false view of God, it's actually idolatry when it comes down to it. Yeah. I mean, which yeah. is, I mean, such a hard thing to stray away from. Even like when yeah. you take a look at your own self, I mean, I know, I know for, you know, my own personal experience at the end of the day, it's like, I can look back at all the different ways I was trying to earn favor with God and be like, you know, what am I doing there? And yeah. then, you know, through prayer, and usually it's at night I come to the realization that, like, you know, God's loving me throughout this whole process of me, you know, falling yeah. and me trying to look good. And It's pretty wild, man. Yeah. And that's, that's where I always bring around. I say the difference between 
Jesus and religion is that in religion, man is trying to get to God. But with Jesus, he's God coming to us. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for you. You don't have to earn anything. And to sit down with somebody who has all this baggage about religion and tell them that like you don't have to earn anything and anybody who told you that is a liar, Jesus came to get you because he loves you. Um, it's mind-blowing. And I it love is. sitting there and, and talking to somebody where they're like, that's really cool. I'm like, heck yes, it is. It's, it's the best thing ever. Um, and it was just so happened Saturday night, I had like three of those conversations. Um, and it was wild talking to these people that aren't into, or maybe they are, but they're certainly not into church. But I don't, I don't know if they're into Jesus or not. But talking to them, and there's one friend of mine, and he's like, you know what? I'm sorry. He's like, I read the Bible all the way through. What I see of Jesus, I'm not seeing in a lot of churches. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? Really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. There's the, yeah. The, that famous Gandhi quote. The, um, I, like, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. And, yeah, it's so true. But, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about God's love is, is pretty spectacular. You know, he loves us the way that we should be able to love him. I mean, he's the creator, of the author of everything, um, you know, perfect, majestic, all the words for God. But yet, as humans, we struggle to, to love him. We struggle to, like, focus on him all the time. We always find other things to, yeah. to fill our mind with. But, you know, he's able to love us 100% throughout our entire lives yeah. while we're doing that. And yeah. Even while we're rebelling against him or might even hate him and yeah. still loves. It's awesome. The, I, I feel like I keep coming into, into moments where, I mean, it might be a, a couple of months, it might be a year, and then all of a sudden God does something to just remind me just how profound his love is. And, um, man, I, I think that's really kind of what it's all about is he wants to show us more and more how much he loves us. Because he wants us to love him too, but mm-hmm. he never forces it. So he just shows how much he loves, and it's huge, man. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. I could talk about that a long time. I um, and I don't know if I've mentioned on here before, but um, uh, my wife and I had gotten a little bit involved in some anti-trafficking stuff, just kind of spreading the word and just trying to figure out how we can do things. Because I'm I'm passionate about it, and uh, we saw this documentary called Nefarious Merchant of Souls. And the movie, it's, it's done by a, a group called Exodus Cry. And so they're, they're Christians, so they're definitely coming from a Christian angle. But they're documenting human trafficking all over the world. And like they did a good job of, I mean, they're in Cambodia, and they're in New York City, they're in Sweden. They're, I mean, they're really all over us to get this picture of how globalized it how is. How globalized it is, and how it, it's, it even functions in a global network. They said everywhere we went, we found Eastern European women. Why? And that there's all kinds of cultural things that have caused this exodus of, you know, it's just a big mess. But um, I'm kind of, I'll ruin the end a little bit, but it's too huge not to. And every time I see it, I'm profound. But they interview, like, several different women throughout the whole thing. And they, they talk about that it's more than just women, you know. Mm-hmm. But they there's these three women that you see throughout the whole thing. And um, they're, you can tell by the, by the way the interview's going that these are women who have gotten out of it. And, um, and each one of them at the end of it, you hear them tell their salvation experience and it was profound. I mean, it was, 
it's mind-blowingly profound, and all of it was centered around them experiencing God's love. Because all of what them, was this called again? It's called Nefarious Merchant of Souls uh, is the tagline. They're they're actually doing a series of like three of them, and that's the first one. But, is it on um, Netflix or? I don't think so. I've got it. You can borrow it. Um, the uh, because what they want you to do is do like gatherings where you show it in your living room and things like that, so you can kind of talk about what to do about trafficking. But dude, every one of them, I'm I'm listening to these women tell the story, and and they like God met them. Like there's some really powerful things that happen, and they're weeping. And this one woman, the the interviewer says, "So you think he loves you or something?" Like kind of being funny, and she's like, "Oh, I know he does." And it like there was just something cool. And they, I mean, they, as they're talk, telling about just God meeting them, I mean, they're, they're, we're talking about straight having visions where Jesus shows up. Um, and then they interview. They had interviewed a former trafficker. Which is wild because it's like it's so easy to just like I want to hate those guys. Yeah. And I I think there is also a place for God's justice where you're like, if we have to kill this guy, do we have to do that? I'm not sure. But um, but to hear this guy who he's talking about, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you just keep thinking about how much money you're making. He's like, you know, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think this. it's important to see you know even those people too as you know yeah. victims of this sin, yeah. the fallen world. Well, that's where this is what was so profound because so as you're ta- seeing these stories of Jesus meeting them and showing their love, and it goes to him. They also interview one of the Johns who was like, I mean, it was awful the stuff he'd been involved in, and they interview this trafficker though, and they're like, um, and he's like, he's like, you know what? She was a captive of one thing. I was a captive of another, but Jesus wants to set the captives free. And I'm like, holy cow, like, I'm, I'm, I, like, I, I tell you what, at the, that, that documentary showed me, um, revealed another side of God's love that just said, yeah, this is how deep my love is because I love the trafficked woman and the trafficked child. And I also love the trafficker and I can redeem every last one yeah. of them. And, uh. Dude, it's it's mind blowing, and, and I'm awesome sitting there every is. time I see it, I'm weeping, and I'm like, "Holy cow, Jesus, you are awesome!" Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, just being able, like, if if you can have Jesus as your main focus, and that's the center point of your life, and you can always realize that you know it is finished, um, just how miraculous that is, and the way that you should be living your life, always like in praise and worship to Him too, like you know, a couple days ago it was the Super Bowl, and. You know, I was thinking about, you know, people celebrating the Super Bowl and then how the Buckeyes won the national championship a few weeks ago. And just to be in that, like, that celebration mode, almost. Yeah. Like, if that can, if you can have Jesus centralized as the primary focus of your life, you should be celebrating all the time. And yeah. <laughs> but but we, we just get distracted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the best, uh, in... in when we the one of the best things that kind of illustrates how real that is is when uh, when Jesus invites Peter to come out and walk on the water with him, and as long as Peter is looking at Jesus, he's walking on the water, and as soon as he looks away and looks at the waves, he starts to sink, mm-hmm. and Jesus still comes and grabs him and pulls him up. But there's there's some I think that there is a very clear principle there that in so much as our focus is on Jesus, nothing can catch us, and. Um, but man, we get distracted so easy, and usually by by things that are scary, but um, sometimes I think also by just plain old pleasures, you know. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. Is that the the same story where Jesus, um, before that, the, the storm came too, and he was sleeping during the storm? Um, that... There's like three or four different stories, and I don't, I actually. I'd have to go and look at how separated they are, because <laughs> yeah. I think that one he's already he's already not on the boat, 
But um, but yeah, that's the the storm story is also a really interesting one because yeah, about <laughs> you know like we're always so worried about these things in our lives and have you know anxious feelings, but you know Jesus is just like yeah, it's all right. You can. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking I'm taking a nap during yeah, this. He's taking a nap, and all of the sailors, the experienced sailors, are freaking out that they think the ship's gonna go down. And he's taking a nap, <laughs> and so they're like, "What are you gonna do?" And he finally at the 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 translation is he just says, "Peace be still," which. I think sounds too old school for us. Like if he was saying it today, he'd probably be like, shh, quiet. <laughs> yeah. And everything went silent. And he's like, come on guys, <laughs> you just trust me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I think we, we continually underestimate God's love and God's power. And yeah, it's a, it's a, again, like, I don't know for me, like over and over for the past, you know, couple months it's just a continual prayer for trust like I, I feel like I you know throughout my day I, I lack that so much and that's yeah. what it's all about it's just being able to it's like a trust fall like falling back you know and just letting God catch you yeah oh man yeah I'm I'll admit even in my in my role like being in a pastoral role uh, I'm str- I struggle a lot with just allowing tasks to kind of start to build up and my, my busyness in doing ministry and just kind of keeping things alive. Um, alive is not the right word, but keeping things afloat. I'm my, my pressure that I always feel is I keep thinking I've got to find a way to make money on the side so that I can do church planting and not have to be too huge of a burden on the church. And I'm like, that's, I should be, I want to be responsible. And, but I let myself worry about it. And every time I do, I'm like, man, I'm so far from the peace of God right now. And it's crazy. I'm a pastor. I'm teaching the peace of God. And I've allowed way, you know, to use the Peter illustration, I've allowed the waves to take my attention. And uh, man, it's bad. I've actually, I've really in the last week, I think I've been getting a little bit more convicted that it's like, come on, what are you doing, man? Like you're, you know, I'm spending all this kind of extra time when I should be probably more mindful and in the moment with my family or in the mindful and in the moment with God in my times of prayer and and whatever else spiritual disciplines in general yeah <laughs> and yeah. yeah I mean I think it's just so natural <coughs> to um, want to think that you can solve your problems and that like they're just right in front of you so like you know why can't I you know take charge of this and do it and do it my way but you know it's it's resisting that temptation and just yeah. you know falling back and let letting god take care of it for you yeah man which is interesting i am um, so i don't know if this is the holy spirit or just random idea but i'm trying to be more sensitive to the spirit and things when god's like hey how about do this thing or when i get that kind of sense and i'm like i don't know if that's the holy spirit or it's just an idea but um it crossed my mind that like i know you're job searching right now and, <clears throat> and i know that i've I've just allowed myself to get stressed about several different ministry things, and it crossed my mind to like just have a brief time of prayer, if that's cool. Oh yeah, for and, sure. And just take some time to pray. Uh, if you're up for it, man, would that be cool? Yeah. I um, I might just open it up and just uh, just ask God's grace in this that our attention would be on Him and that He would just take all these issues. Like I'm I'm praying that jobs come through with you, and I'm praying that um that finances and life management aligns for me um, as well as church stuff. And uh, I'm just going to lift it up, man. If you want to also jump in and pray, that's cool. I'll, um, I'll open it up. And if not, that's cool too. 
Um, cool. We'll, we'll just roll. Let's uh, do it. God, I um, uh, I think you know that I have. I think probably a besetting sin for me is my attempt to try to just make things happen. Um, I think I'm wired to start things. I'm wired to be busy. And I don't think all of that is is wrong. In fact, I think some of it is how you've made me. But any time that I put my, my attention and my focus on all this crap that I have to do uh, and not on you, uh, I'm ultimately sinning. And um, so, God, I'm just confessing that. I'm sorry that I have uh, that I've sinned uh, against you by allowing myself to essentially worship myself in my tasks rather than worship you. And um, so I'm asking that you come into all these situations. Um, I'm going to lift up all of my side work and just ask that you would sovereignly move to, to sustain that or take it away, whatever you want to do. Uh, to minimize the the amount of mental energy and stress that I have to put on it. Um, uh, God, if you want to take it all away to provide in another way, then that's great. Um, God, I pray that you'd give me an understanding of the balance between, maybe balance is not the right word, but an understanding of how I am to be, to work hard for your glory and at the same time be completely dependent on you. Um, so God, I just lift it up. God, I lift up things at the church where we're, we're constantly trying to move forward and the enemy is fighting and there's always things to be dealing with. God, I just ask your hand on all of it. Um, God, I'm not that important. Uh, I can't make things happen. And so I just, I need you to do it. Um, so would you move? And, and God, as I'm thinking, I also just lift up Kevin. Um, God, to, I know he's, work, he's looking for the right job um, and one where... Um, he can pay some bills, but also I think one where he can grow in. And God, whatever, um, whatever you have for him, God, I pray you bring it through. I pray that we find something out even today um, about where he's going to be working. And um, God, I pray you'd help both of us to uh, to not be focused on ourselves, our tasks, or our problems, but uh, but just celebrate you, um, God. That's the other thing. I, I haven't had joy like I should. Um, because I've been too busy on these other things and I haven't just been delighting in you. God, that's why we're here. Um, so we just lift this up to you. Amen. All right. Yeah, man. So I um, I don't know if that was weird, but I'm trying to be more attentive to like when I'm like, hey, this thing popped in my mind. It's not a bad idea. So to go into shot. prayer. Yeah, I was, I was actually... <clears throat> I think part of part of working through a lot of my stuff is that I've just been way. I mean, working in a large church before when I, I was man, I was a project manager, I was a leader, I was making stuff happen, and I don't think all of that was bad, but sitting and waiting on what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do was something that I just kind of yeah. weaved out, and I'm relearning how to sense the spirit in the small things. Yeah. Like I feel like he's led me in big things because it's a slow kind of undeniable, like, okay, clearly God, this is what you want me to do. Um, and I'm trying to increase my sensitivity to that moment mm-hmm. by moment. Um, I was at a, I was a church planners conference last week and, uh, it was awesome. It was a great time. And, and we're in this 
group of people were talking about something and it just pops in my head. I'm like, man, I feel like we need to pray about that situation over there. And so I raised my hand and I was like, um, are we okay if we prayed about whatever? And our church planning coach is there and he's like, well, is this from you or from the Holy Spirit? And, uh, and it was funny because I actually just said, I don't know. <laughs> and so this is his response. And I thought this was great. He was like, well, he's like, I don't ever want to miss it if it might be the Holy Spirit. So let's stop right now and let's pray. That's awesome. And, uh, and it was cool because I think it showed me, it reminded me of something that like, hey, lean on it being the Spirit. If it's not, like there are things that are like, okay, that's crazy, you know? And there are times where I think God does ask us to do odd things. And when that happens, you need to be talking to other people and saying, okay, it's God. I feel like this is from God. What's going on? Um, I mean, I did that when we were church planting because I'm like, I think this is stupid. And I had people praying that affirmed it. I'm like, all right, cool, yeah. all right. Um, but there are, there are other times where I'm like, you know, you could be having a psychotic episode, so let's make sure if it's <laughs> yeah, a really I mean, crazy thing, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, one thing I struggle with as a, a somewhat new believer is uh, public prayer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my private prayer, it, it just seems so personal, and, like, a lot of it's just moaning and groaning, like, not even yeah. really knowing what I'm saying. Um, and so I guess, you know, that's a prayer for me is to – to grow in public prayer because I know the importance of it. I know it's, yeah. it's scriptural, um, yeah. but it just seems weird for me to do it. And yeah. it, I think it's a thing of, you know, making, putting me as too much importance. Like, you know, I'm not yeah. that important and, you know, I'm standing in my own way by not being able to do public prayer. Yeah. That's interesting. I think you're right. I think though that that's a real issue that because prayer is a very intimate thing and praying publicly there's a little, there's a lot to it. And I'm not, that sounds, it's very simple, but there's, you're exposing yourself when you pray. And um, I used to talk to my wife, she's talked about that. She's like, I have a hard time with it. The spirit has to be moving. Um, like, I'm, she's not the person that I can just call on and be like, honey, would you pray right now? And like, she might not do it, but, all, but when there's like prayer happening and, you know, we're praying for somebody or something and a group of us are maybe laying hands and praying for somebody, mm-hmm. when the spirit moves, man, she'll do it. And it's cool, uh, but yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a hard thing to just pray out loud. Yeah, yeah, but it is part of. I think God teaches something in it. Yeah, it's valuable. It's good stuff, man. I enjoyed talking today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I uh, I want to maybe mention a couple of things on the podcast as we're finishing out here. Um, and say, uh, man, if you want to like us on iTunes, it helps uh, spread the word about what we're doing. Um, I really appreciate you spreading the word. And uh, other than that, man, we will see you next week. Yep, see you next Wednesday.